We're continuing our study in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We've been reading verses 1 through 9 for several weeks. We're taking one or two verses at a time, but we see this as a whole. Today we're going to concentrate on verses 3 through 6. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Let's always remember that the power resides in his word. Thank you, and you may be seated. Boy, if you read of verses uh, 3 and 4, share in the sufferings of a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who entrusted him. This phrase, share in sufferings, isn't that a great invitation to come to Christ? I mean, literally, it means to suffer or endure evil, hardships, troubles with me. It comes from the word to be afflicted. Can you imagine how large our churches would be if that were our invitation? Come and suffer with us. There are three metaphors here. We're going to concentrate on the first. And that is the military metaphor of being a soldier. I read an article called The Logic Behind Making Boot Camp So Intensive. And this is one person's understanding of that. Military trains for war. Military is not a fitness school. Military is not a habit School. Military is a group of people preparing for war, ideally with organization and methodological approach. And some people who join the military have lived pampered lives with hovering parents, easing every step and rounding every sharp corner. Whatever your background is, you need to be desensitized enough so that you can be thrown into war with some level of psychological armor and fortitude built during your training if you didn't have it yet. Now, before we can move along with this uh, military metaphor as a Christ follower, we need to stop and define a few things, don't you think? I have heard, you have heard, and perhaps you have been one who within the Christian community, criticize the use of this metaphor. And this is understandable. This is because of its abuse and the misunderstanding of how it is used 
especially in these verses by Paul and what he is saying to Timothy. We need to know who our enemy is and what our mission is. But what does Paul say about fight, so to speak? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I'm going to read several versions. This helps us to understand what the fight is about. From the English Standard Version. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in heavenly places. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark and against uh, in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You get the idea. And then the last one I like. We are not fighting against humans. That's as clear as it gets. Our war is not with other people. Not even those who use physical weapons against all who disagree with them. In fact, I want to say very clearly... Even these who seek our destruction is not the object of our wrath. They are the very ones we need to love. I didn't hear any amens on that. We'll just move on. Why? Because our warfare is not against humans. The battle is a spiritual battle. Paul was a soldier of Christ. His weapon was the love of Christ. This love put Jesus on the cross so that all who would believe in him would have eternal life. And we are to love our enemies and pray for those who hate us. Jesus said so in Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The military metaphor is used... To move our minds and our allegiance from this worldly kingdom to a heavenly kingdom ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He is King. You've been singing about it. Do you believe it? Do we live it? It is He who enlists us to fight against spiritual powers That destroys the lives that he came to save. Military.com is the largest online military and veteran membership organization. And this is what they say about the mission of the military. The military has many missions. The primary mission, of course, is to defend the U.S. and the U.S. interests. Looking more closely, though, we can see that the military does a lot more than simply fight... Some examples of military missions include rescue operations, medical assistance to in impoverished areas, food and humanitarian relief, security at embassies and other locations, policing in volatile areas, natural disaster relief, law enforcement. And the military is the nation's largest group of international ambassadors. You see, the war is against spiritual power, but we must win the hearts and the minds of those who don't know Christ. And that is not done through fighting them. 
This is done by living a Christ-like life and demonstrating his love to a lost and dying world. Now, you might ask about humanitarian deeds and acts of love and disaster relief and helping our neighbors. All these are important, but they are temporary missions all under the umbrella of eternal mission. These deeds of service do not earn us eternal life. But they might assist those without Christ to see the love of Christ and they gain eternal life. Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to have the mindset that expects hardships. Don't be discouraged. Expect the Christian life to be a life of hardships. Have the mindset that expects hard work and suffering for the gospel. Now, we live in an affluent society, and we cherish our ease and our comfort. And you know what? When hardships come, typically we are surprised, and then we say something like, well, something must be wrong. Many times we make lives easy and our lives for our children easier so that they cannot even handle difficulties. Do we really think because we live in an affluent area that the Christian life is supposed to be easy? Do we think becoming more godly is easy? Becoming more like Christ? Is that really easy? As Christ followers, what is our mission? Do we even know? Do we even have one? Well, we are called to worship God. And listen, you know what? For eternity, we're going to be able to worship God. Our greatest privilege is to honor and to glorify Jesus Christ. And we will be able to do that like forever and today. And the great commandment to love God and to love one another. Guess what, brothers and sisters? We're going to be able to do that forever. I like that. Let's just practice it a little more. (laughs) Fellowship is wonderful. But is fellowship an end in itself? You might say yes, because that's going to be eternal. Okay, that's great. We're going to be doing that for eternal, uh, for eternity. But before his ascension, Jesus Christ gave us a great commission. And that great commission is temporary. And it's to make disciples. You see, we only have a few years here to carry out our mission. We do humanitarian acts of love. We give water to those who are thirsty. But these humanitarian deeds are not ends. They are means. Our primary mission is to make disciples and train them here and overseas. Christ's followers are always on mission, whether you know it or not. 
You are on mission. Whether you realize other people are watching you, they are watching you because some of you have already named yourself a Christian and they are looking at your life as if you are on mission, whether you see your life as your own mission or not. We are not here for ourselves. Pam is trying to get us to go on tour for, I don't know, how long we've been married, Pam. So finally I said yes, and she's done most of the work. But I'm the host, so. Guys, it's always been that way, and you know it. We just need to confess that sin in front of everybody. But let me tell you something. When it came to doing a tour... Pam and I have been on mission a lot. Many of you have been on mission a lot. It was a no-brainer for Pam to immediately want this tour to be a mission trip. Every trip. When we think of tours, we think of it's about us. It isn't about us. It's about why we're here. It's about what our purpose is. We're always on mission. Our group of 42 plus going to South Florida in June. This trip is not about us or our desires, but it's for those who are hurting and dying. This is our mission. Paul says in verse 4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This word entangled comes from the word to braid or to weave together. I know we must live in this world. But my question is, does this world dominate our thoughts and our habits and our lifestyles? Are we trying to weave both the love of this world with our love for Christ. John tells us in his first book, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The philosophy of this world is egocentric. It is self-seeking. The world says, get all you can, keep all you can, and then sit on you can. It is about power and abuse of power. This type of thinking cannot be braided with a love that seeks to love others and point them toward Christ. We are to love and sacrifice with a militaristic attitude. Those who have been executed through the centuries were militaristic in their love for those who killed them. 
The world was horrified when the Islamic State group released a video in February of 2015, which showed the beheading of 20 Coptic Christians who were dressed as prisoners, wearing orange jumpsuits and, hand, and handcuffs. And as they were killed, these men were praying to their Lord. These Islamic radicals were met with Christian radicals. One used the weapons of violence and the other the weapons of love, humility, and prayer. Paul is telling Timothy that our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. We are called to please the one who enlisted us. This word please means to accommodate one's self to the opinions and desires and interests of others. Did you hear that? We are to give away our desires to the one who enlisted us. The word enlist entails and includes the meaning to call by name to join the army. So who has called us? We were not simply called to salvation to enjoy our fellowship here. We were called to serve. He bore our sins upon the tree. And we love him because he first loved us. This is our motivation. But not only did Paul use the picture of a soldier, he used it as an athlete. I was reading in online Men's Health, and I came across this article, Seven Secrets to Steal from Tim Tebow. And the first caption said this, Somewhere he is out there training while I am not, and when we meet, he will win. And then there were seven things that Tim Tebow says that he does in his training, not just his exercise, but his eating habits, his sleeping habits, priorities in his life. We don't have time to do that. But listen, after reading all that, we know his testimony. Tim is always on mission. His strenuous training program is not his mission. Being the best athlete that he can be is not his mission. He uses all that for his mission. That is the glory of God and be an example of Christ. And as an athlete, Tebow wants to be the very best he can be. But his mission is far greater than simply being a great athlete. And he never loses sight of that. You know, we get that. We see it with athletes, how they train, and we know, and we don't. But that wasn't the emphasis of Paul. Paul was saying to compete according to the rules. Now, is training part of the rules? Yes. In fact, in the games of Greece, you had to swear an oath that you've been training for at least 10 months. It amazes me that we will not spiritually apply that to our purpose and our goals. Paul is not telling us that our salvation is dependent upon keeping the rules. But God has laid down principles and truths in his word. That will make us more successful in living our lives as Christ followers. 
We are not perfect. On this earth, we will never be. But I want you again to read and to hear what Jesus said in chapter 14 of John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what are the rules of engagement? To abide in Christ's love, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to keep his commandments, not his rules, but because we love him. We desire because he loved us, not because we fear him. And then the last metaphor he uses is the farmer. Before the farmer even gets to yield his work, he has to break the soil. He has to prepare the soil. He has to clear the rocks. He has to plant. He has to endure all threats of weather of which he has no control. And then he receives his reward. He has to deal with patience. You know, though crops are seasonal. When I married into a farmer's family. I never saw Pam's dad get lazy between seasonal crops. He was always doing what was needed to be done so that the crops could come in so that there would be bread on the table. All these images are images that Paul gives us to remind us of the sacrifice and the hard work that is part and partial to the life of following Christ. We must never lose the sight of our purpose as followers. We live in this world. We are not of this world. This is not our home. And while many of us live in affluence, there is a dying and needy world that needs Christ. This is our mission. And we do Christ. This is probably, I thought this sentence through the most difficult sentence. I've written. We do Christ and our calling a disservice when we insist on a carefree Christian life where we isolate ourselves in our luxury from the contamination of this world. Jesus spoke to that in Mark. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's our call. Three metaphors of what does it mean to follow Christ. None of which we really like in our own lives. And yet God has enlisted us to be a soldier of the cross. He has enlisted us 
to run the race. And he has called upon us to bear fruit in our lives. I can't think of a more difficult challenge. And for those of you who are still trying to struggle, and you really are struggling and you're seeking, what does it mean to follow Christ? And, and perhaps you, you go from one church to another or you listen from one sermon to another or you read one book or another and you're trying to find out how, how does this all work? I'm telling you, that it's very, very difficult under our own power to want to do this. This is an act of grace that comes to us, that gives us love for Him because He first loved us. And He changes our heart and He changes our mind and He changes our behavior so that we want to see people come to know Christ and to be on mission. And so today... I challenge you. Jesus challenged his followers. Count the cost. Don't be a fan of Jesus. Be a disciple of Jesus. If you're going to get in, get in all the way. There are too many people who have gone to church and got their feet wet. They didn't like the way the water felt, so they got out and said, I tried. I beg you to come to Christ and church. Pray for your leaders that we will be faithful to what is required in our responsibility. Would you pray with me? Father, this certainly is not a how to win friends and influence people message. But we can see Paul suffering in the prison, waiting for his death because he was a soldier and because he is viewed as a criminal for preaching the love of Christ. But even as he is bound, the word of God is unbound. It is free. And I pray that you will release what has been read and seen in your word in the hearts of all of us as hearers. And that it would not be bound up in us, but would be liberated in our lives and our thinking and in our speech. But I pray most of all for those who are struggling to come to Christ. That you would liberate the word in their heart. That they would see. The freedom and the peace and the joy. That comes. By following you. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Would you please.